Philemon is where we're turning this morning. Philemon and verse 10, we'll pick up in our verse by verse looking at it. Paul, of course, is speaking to a dear friend of his, Philemon, back in Colossae, Paul being imprisoned in Rome for a number of years already, and yet through the course of his imprisonment, he still had a fruitful ministry. God was so gracious and kind to give him opportunities to share the gospel, opportunities for people even to call upon the name of the Lord through his ministry. And so even though Paul is in chains, he is watched over very carefully by Roman soldiers, he is still glorying in the opportunity to be a useful vessel in the Lord's service. He is writing a letter, a a very brief letter, to his friend Philemon back in Colossae regarding the happenstance, in fact he'll refer to that kind of a thing, a providential uh, serendipitous moment of Onesimus encountering Paul, and not just Paul, but encountering Christ in Rome. And so he is writing this letter to kind of grease the skids, as it were, sending Onesimus back to Philemon as a slave, as a slave under the Roman law system and so forth, receiving him back. In fact, that's really the ultimate appeal. Paul says, Philemon, receive him, receive Onesimus as you would receive me, which is a startling, startling uh, request that Paul makes, and yet it is quite valid. As we saw in Matthew 25, the good works, the kindness, the generosity, the mercy we show to other people, it's as if it's rendered unto Christ. Paul says, what you do to Onesimus, let it be as if you were doing it unto me. So there's that substitution aspect that is so uh, important so much throughout Scripture that it's not just doing it to each other, but our service is as to Christ. And even as we studied in Colossians, the service that Onesimus renders to Philemon, it's not just for Philemon, it's as unto Christ himself. You're serving the Lord Christ, and you will receive a reward from Christ or a punishment from Christ based on how you uh, do in this world. So there's a lot of things going on here, a lot of the emotional aspects of of, uh, of tentativeness on the part of Onesimus going back to Philemon. What's Philemon going to do? I mean, he has the power to execute me because I ran away from him, probably stole from him as well. The expectation that Paul had that Philemon would do and do more than than Paul requests because of the love, because of the faith that he has toward Christ. The emotional upheaval, I suppose, of Paul being imprisoned and sending this one who who was formerly, as we'll get into this text, formerly useless, but now has become so useful to Philemon, but even more so to Paul. And and having that that one who, as Paul says here, he's my own heart. I'm sending him back to you, but he is my, it's like I'm sending part of myself back with, with Onesimus. This verse 10 of, of, uh, of Philemon, we'll get to, actually I'm going to read beginning at verse 8, uh, as he gets into this, really the heart of the letter, verses 8 through um, I don't know, 17, 18, thereabouts. This is really the heart of the appeal. Paul says here in verse 8, Therefore, though I have much boldness in Christ to command you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather plead with you, since I'm such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus of Christ Jesus, I plead with you for my child Onesimus, of whom I became a father in my chains." who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I, am, I have sent him back to you in person, that is my very heart, whom I intended to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but voluntarily." 
for perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would receive him back. You would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul is rehearsing here and, and identifying several elements or several characteristics about this man Onesimus. A person we meet only in the course of this letter, he was mentioned by name back in Colossians chapter 4 as, uh, as one of your number, writing to the church in Colossae, one of your, uh, from, from among yourselves, this man Onesimus is. And we read that we kind of piece some things together. And different people have actually pieced a, a different narrative about this whole thing. And I won't get into all the other things. I think that the plain reading of this is that this is a slave of Philemon, a, a Christian man, and is, is slavery Christian? No, it's not a Christian thing, but Paul gives us understanding and how the gospel even applies to a master-slave situation, as we studied back in Colossians 3. But we see that this man, Onesimus, probably ran away from Philemon, probably stole some stuff to finance his journey, right? Get some food and whatever along the way. Went to Rome, which is where lots of... Um, do you remember how when, when David ran away from Saul, King David, soon to be King David, ran away from King Saul, and all sorts of nasty types uh, just gathered around people that were running from the law, like outlaws, you know, or people that had a bad situation at home or whatever, discontents, malcontents, gathered together and associated themselves with, with David there in the caves of Adullam and other places. Similarly in Rome, that's really the cesspool. All the wickedness comes and, and just festers in Rome. And there are even uh, you know, proverbs about it going into Rome. Well, Onesimus found refuge in Rome, major populated city, lots of slaves. He could fit in. He could do his own thing. But somehow God saved him. Somehow, very lamely spoken. God saved Onesimus through the course of Paul's ministry. And Paul says here that I begot him as a child of whom I became a father in my chains. And so Onesimus' life was changed from that moment forward. And we read more about the whole narrative as we go along. But we, Paul identifies several different aspects about this man Onesimus. We looked at the first um, little bit last time, verses 10 and, well, verse 10 is where we ended up. Paul re refers to him as my child. Now, he wasn't a direct descendant. We talked about that. He's not even adopted, like a legally adopted child. He is a child in the faith, as Paul uses that terminology often in relation to Timothy or Titus. Titus, who was a full-on Gentile, Paul being Jewish, there's that, you know, oil and water don't mix. And yet, Timothy, you know, he had a Gentile father and a Jewish mother, so there was that connection. But Paul is able to say, this is my child, Titus, Timothy. Those are my children in the faith, my genuine child, according to our common faith, Titus 1 and verse 4. And he applies that same language to Onesimus, which again raises this man up in Paul's estimation, but also in Philemon's. He hasn't mentioned even the name. Now, perhaps Philemon sees Onesimus standing there and remembers all the all the things that happened and all the all the all the issues around this person. But Paul says he is my child, of whom I became a father in my chains in my imprisonment for the gospel, which he is going to return to in just a moment. Again, this idea of of begatting or begotting children of whom I became a father. We looked at Galatians 4, 19 and 20, but there's another aspect of that, another way that Paul brings that out. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, I do not, uh, verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He's writing to the Corinthians. So it's not just those special 
co-workers that Paul refers to as children, but the whole church in Corinth. He's saying, you are my beloved children. And he goes on, he says, if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, you know, tra trainers, uh, disciplers, and so forth, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. There is that endearment that Paul has toward his, his people that come to faith under his ministry, and he feels very greatly responsible for them, and a, a stewardship entrusted to him to care for them and bring them to maturity. You remember, one of the key verses in Colossians is verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 28, which says, uh, we proclaim him, Christ, he's talking about, admonishing every person, I will say, every man, every person, and, with all, and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person, every man, complete in Christ, mature, uh, a perfect in Christ. You think, oh, you can be a perfect person in this world? No, but we, we strive toward that. In fact, the next verse goes on to say, uh, for this we labor and strive, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me, Paul says. And so it's not something that we just casually approach. It's something we are feverishly, devotedly uh, spending our, our energies on to see people mature in Christ. How does that happen? Through the ministry of the Word of God, teaching the Word, allowing us to meditate upon the Word, and not just think about it, but then to do it, let it come out in our words, our actions, our attitudes, the choices we make, the friendships we make, the t way that we spend our time, money, whatever else. That shows how we are complete in Christ. Paul identifies Onesimus as his child, of whom he became a father in my chains. So the, the time of Onesimus' salvation is during that time in Rome, because Paul is there, he's not going anywhere, he's under house arrest. Onesimus had to come to him. He mentions his name, as I, as I told last time, that the name Onesimus really, in the Greek text, comes at the end of this whole phrase, of whom I begot, became a father in my chains, Onesimus. I think he saves that name for last because he wanted to show Philemon He's a brother in Christ now. He is a faithful child of mine in the gospel, not because I'm a, a father of him or anything, you know, a physical father, but this man, Onesimus. Now, you've heard it said, perhaps, and we'll identify it a little bit more carefully as we go along in this text, this name, Onesimus, is related to, well, it is. It's based on a, a verb that means useful or uh, profitable um, a, a, a piece or a person of utility or worth and even a benefit. The verbal form of this appears in verse 20 of Philemon. Paul says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. This word benefit is the verb that, that builds the name Onesimus. And he's going to use a different synonym to talk about useful, useless and useful. We'll see that here in the uh, the next verse 11. But he mentions this name Onesimus. It's a common name for slaves because you, you kind of want to have a, 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 a useful slave, right? Not a a worthless, you know, somebody you give a command to and they don't do it. Uh, there are lots of proverbs about that. Um, you know, like a lame leg and a, a worthless thing, or you lean on something and it pokes your hand. That's that's a, an example of Egypt when you trust in Egypt. But you you want somebody who's useful, who who obeys orders, who causes you joy and delight, and you ask them to do something and they do it, and not just do what you said, but do much more than you said and fulfill and go beyond the. The, the initial request, going to the heart of what the master wants, trying to, to serve, trying to please the master. So his name, Onesimus, means something that he never really fulfilled prior. Verse 11 says, he was formerly useless to you. This is another characteristic of Onesimus. He was formerly useless, 
in the past. I know he was a he was a drain. He was not a benefit in your household. He was one who was unreliable, untrustworthy, and good grief. He also ran away, stole from you, stole from the house. He was one who was useless. He was worthless. He was not. He was a a. Um, Instead of returning a profit for you, he was one who used up your money, drank your stuff, and, and, and did not have a, a good return for what investment you had in him. Again, I'm not commenting, and Paul isn't even commenting on the morality of slavery. Uh, he, in fact, he doesn't even go so far as to tell, I don't think, he's, he, we'll see as we go along, he doesn't tell Philemon to release him, to manumit, to, to give him his freedom. Uh, he, he says, you treat him as a brother. He can still be your slave. There is no slavery, no master in Christ. But in society, we still have these orders. We still order of society. We have husbands and wives. We have children, parents. We have slaves and masters. Any of those categories of, of persons can come to Christ, but we still fulfill our obligations, our roles in, the, in this different society. Onesimus was formerly useless. As you would expect a slave to be useful, he was not. He says he was useless to you, Philemon, back in your household, but now, the contrast, formerly, but now, he is useful both to you and to me. The contrast there is so profound because it teaches us the difference that Christ makes in a life. Not just a difference in the future, saved from hell, hellfire, fire and brimstone in the future, saved from God's wrath, saved from the punishment, the condemnation, the due justice that is, that is uh, sent to me because of my wickedness. It's not just a salvation in that way. It is a salvation that affects our present. It affects the way that we relate to other people, the way that we fulfill our responsibilities, the way that we work, we labor. He says he was formerly useless to you, but now he is useful. It reminds us, for example, of Romans 11 and verse 30. Again, this contrast, once or formerly this way, but now it's this way. Just as you once were disobedient to God, but now you've been shown mercy because of their disobedience. This is in the context of Jew and Gentile and the conversation that Paul has there. Those That contrast is also spoken above about Paul when he, in Galatians 1 and verse 23, uh, he, this is the people around Saul of Tarsus, Paul, uh, he who once persecuted us is now proclaiming the good news of the faith which he once tried to destroy. Formerly, he was trying to destroy us, destroy the Christians, destroy Christ. But now he is proclaiming the good news of the faith, which he once tried to destroy. Kind of one of those chiasms where the main thing starts and ends the same way, but in the middle he's proclaiming the good news. He is talking about Jesus all the time. He's trying to destroy Jesus and the name, right, the way, trying to destroy that. But now he's so different. Another example is Ephesians 5 and verse 8, that contrast of formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. And uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 10 also has that. So Onesimus was useless, formerly useless to you and your service. You'd expected to receive the benefit of his labor, but you didn't. But now, because of the difference Christ makes, Christ makes in his life, now he is useful both to you, Philemon, and as his earthly master, and to me who has received... Uh, the measure, the, uh, a full, not a full measure maybe, but a, a great measure of Philemon's, or excuse me, Onesimus's utility. Onesimus came to faith and then started serving. He became an attendant to Paul in his imprisonment. You realize that Paul was under house arrest. He was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and 
could not go out and buy his groceries, could not go out and do you know whatever else. He was there in the house. So if anybody, if he was going to receive any favors from anybody, they had to come to him. Onesimus was so uh, kind and so useful to care for Paul and minister to him and to show kindness, to show the gratitude even as one who came to faith under Paul's uh, ministry is able to serve him in his misery. Paul's min- mis- misery, that is. Paul says he was, is now both useful, useful both to you and to me. He says another thing about Onesimus here in verse 12, whom I have sent back to you. Or, I sent him back to you in person. That is my very heart. So not just is Onesimus his child in the faith, not just is Onesimus changed, his, his whole uh, manner of, of being is changed. He was formerly useless. He was a drag on, on you and on society. But now he is useful both to you and to me. And now he says, I've sent him back to you. This really reflects a legal terminology, sending somebody back. We see it, for example, in connection with the trial, if you don't mind the, 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 I mean, it wasn't really a trial, but the, the, the trial, we'll just use that term, of Jesus before Pilate and Jesus before Herod. Pilate in Luke 23 and verse 7, Pilate, having learned that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, tried to pass the buck, you know, kick the can down the road and say, okay, let, let Herod deal with this troublemaker, this whole situation behind it. So Pilate sent him to Herod, sent Jesus, referred the case to him. We see it a little bit later, Herod sent him back to Pilate. I don't want anything to do with this, with this. you deal with it. And we see that uh, Paul, or Pilate rather, comments on that issue of sending Jesus over there to Herod for his, his uh, judgment, Herod sending him back. We see a very similar thing about Paul, the whole reason why he's in Rome under house arrest is Acts 25 uh, and verse 21, when Paul appeared, appealed rather to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I sent him, there's our word, sent him to Caesar. So there's a legal aspect about this. Is there a legal aspect in this, in this case of Paul and Onesimus and Philemon? Yeah, because if Paul had kept Philemon, that would be against the law. Uh, this is, this again, under Roman law, this is a, a property, uh, chattel slavery that we think is so evil and wicked, which it is. We're not supposed to own other, other people, and yet you can read in the Deuteronomic, Deuteronomic or Mosaic law that there are, there are, God allows for that or uh, accommodates for these things in the same way that he accommodated for divorce, right? Deuteronomy 24 and Matthew 19 says it's because of your hardness of heart that he allowed you, but he didn't command you to divorce. He allowed it because of your hardness, the hardness of your heart. In any event, we see that there is some measure of a legal aspect. I am sending him back to you for judgment, for restitution even. He says if he he owes you anything, charge it to my account. We'll see that in a little bit. I think it's verse 17, is it? Verse 18. Yeah, verse 18 uh, says that. So this is a legal sending back. It is a physical sending back. He, he says, I could have kept him. We'll see it in the next verse. I could have kept him, but I'm sending him back to you because you have a, a role to play in this whole thing. I can't disregard you. There is a legal issue that we need to resolve in relation to Onesimus. And so Paul sends him back. The interesting thing is Philemon, or excuse me, Ones- so many names. Forgive me if I say the wrong one. Wrong- <laughs> I even said that wrong. Anyway, forgive me if I fumble the, the things. Um, <clears throat> Onesimus goes back with fear and trepidation because Philemon could have 
killed him for his insubordination, for his running away, for his uh, stealing from him. Wrong, wrong, wrong. And yet he comes back. He's willing to face his accusers, face his judge even. Philemon had that, that sole authority as a Roman citizen, Roman master. And yet Onesimus goes back to his master having trusted himself to God. God you know my heart. You know how I'm changed. You know I did wrong. I'm going to confess that to my master Philemon. I pray that you'd work these wonderful these things out wonderfully and in a good fashion. And so he goes back. Paul says again the the endearment he has toward this man Onesimus. He's my very heart. I'm sending a piece of me back with him. He has become so uh, meaningful, so. Uh, uh, just an affectionate person to me. My affection toward him is affection toward me. And it's almost like the way that he is serving me, Onesimus is serving Paul, is as if Philemon is serving. And we'll get into that in the next verse, I think. As uh, Paul says, this is my, my heart, my affection, the, the, um, uh, just the emotional attachment that Paul has to him. Again, th this, is, this is not a just somebody off the street or, or somebody that Paul doesn't know very well. I, I heard about this guy. I'm sending him back. I don't know the whole situation, the whole story. Paul knows the whole story, knows Philemon, loves Philemon, knows how greeted his wife probably, remember? Apphia and the son, Archippus, perhaps, verse 2. And so he knows the whole situation, and he says, I'm expecting great things. I'm expecting God to be glorified in this. I'm expecting the gospel to make a difference, not just in the future, you know, eternal you know, that, but right now, reconciling in this family, this household, but also in the church. Because this is a, a key case of Philemon has been wronged. Onesimus was a sinner, was a wrong, you know, acted wrongly. How is this going to work? How does the gospel affect conflict? How does it help us to navigate through these things that are difficult issues and, and uh, issues of violation. And it's not just that this slave is coming back to Philemon, but potentially coming back into his house. He, he hasn't been trustworthy. He has been useless. He's been a drag. He's been an embarrassment to me. But now we see the difference that Christ makes in Onesimus' life and in Philemon's life and the change that, that God has done in Paul's life himself. And so you see all this in the way that Paul refers to Onesimus. He is my very heart. He's the heart of the gospel. He's the heart of what Christ does in a person's life. Verse 13 said, I wanted to keep him. I wanted to keep him with me. In fact, I intended. I had already decided I was going to keep him with me, but he, he changes that. But the reason he wanted to keep him with him is not even so much that, that, Paul, would, that Paul would receive the benefit. He wanted the benefit to be on Philemon's behalf. And you think, what? How, how does that work? Well, verse 13 says, I intended to keep him with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. You think that's a weird way to say it. The point is, Paul is not focused on what he can get out of the deal. I mean, he's sending somebody who's ministering to him, getting the groceries, maybe taking out the trash, whatever, whatever he's doing. It's not that benefit that Paul is concerned about. It is the benefit that Philemon could have the fulfillment that Philemon could have as a servant, as one who is a thousand miles away in Colossae, Paul over in Rome, a thousand miles away, Philemon is serving Paul through his servant, his slave, Onesimus. 
Paul says, I want, I wish, you know, I was thinking, I, I just keep him with me because he is serving as if you were here him, yourself. Because I know you'd love to be here as serving me and me, meeting my needs. But you have a church meeting in your house. You have a wife, you have a kid, uh, probably an adult child, but you have all these responsibilities over there. It's as if Onesimus is serving in your place. And so I intended to keep him with me. I intended to hold on to him because he was has become so useful to me. He has become one who is uh, worthy and worth, worthful, um, not worthless, right? He has become useful in my service, and I wanted to do this on your behalf, Philemon. I wanted the benefit, the reward of service to fall on you, you showing your love, your concern, your compassion for me, ministering to my need. I know you would love to do it. I know, I'm not presuming upon you. I know that you have refreshed the saints, refreshed the hearts of the saints. Where does that say? Back in verse 5 and 6 <coughs> and 7. The, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. And so we see this is Philemon's heart to serve and meet needs, especially to Paul, so that he might minister to me in my chains, just to be a servant, just to do a, you know the errands, to, to be an encouragement to me, somebody to talk about Christ with, somebody to read the scriptures, somebody to read the scriptures to me, just a benefit that Paul had. And he says, in my chains, he reminds Philemon, look, I am bound not for the promised land. I am bound with chains. I am bound to this Roman citizen, Roman soldier, rather. It's on the behalf of the gospel. I'm not doing this because I'm an evildoer. I'm not doing this because I like a prison ministry. No, I'm doing this because of my pro proclamation, my proclaiming the gospel, especially to Gentiles. Was Philemon a Gentile? Potentially, possibly. We, again, we really don't know much about him other than what we read about in this letter or... Um, the other things surrounding it in Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. And yet Paul says, this is, this is a tremendous opportunity. I am here in chains in Rome because of the gospel, and he's concerned about Philemon. He's concerned about this situation, a little bit of uh, an upset in the household. How can we deal with this, and how is this going to reflect Christ, the glory, the wonder that Christ causes in uh, a servant's life, a slave's life, and the master's life, and the church life, and all these things. He says, I would have kept him, I wanted to keep him, but verse 14, I didn't want to do it without your consent, without your approval, I didn't want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but voluntarily. He says, I didn't, you know, I, I was thinking about it. I want to do it. I want to do it this way, but I wouldn't do it without you having a say in the matter. All the stuff that has been going on with Onesimus after, of course, his departure from, from uh, Philemon's home, Philemon has no clue. Onesimus ran away. He took some of this stuff, took some of that stuff. I had a task for him. He was expecting him to do this work, and he didn't do it. And Philemon is upset about it, perhaps has people looking for him, formally or informally, whatever. He has no clue what's going on. Paul says, Philemon, you need to know what's going on. You need to know, I found, found Onesimus. He has found Christ, or Christ found him. He's a different man. He is a changed man. I'm sending him back to you. I want you to know so you can act informally. I, I want you to have a say in the matter. I want you to have uh, or to give consent. I want you to have judgment. I want you to decide, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen with Onesimus under Roman law. Again, he is guilty, guilty, guilty. And yet, uh, in Christ, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to him? He says, without, uh, without your consent, not acting in any way, 
based on my own authority, even though I am Paul the aged, or as we talked, Paul the ambassador, and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ. He says, you know, I'm all these things, but I want you, Philemon, to have a say. This is important. I'm not just acting as, uh, you know, in full authority as an apostle and uh, as uh, whatever else, but I want you to have an input input into this matter. He says, I didn't want to do anything, nothing. Again, I, I, Paul is receiving so much benefit, but the benefit he wanted on behalf of Philemon, I want to do nothing, nothing am I interested in doing so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but voluntarily. There is some distinction that we could make, I suppose, and this is back up, big picture view. The way that we look at words and how what a word means in anything, in a personal letter, a note, an email, a text, usage determines meaning. And what, what am I saying about that? Usage determines meaning versus etymology, you know, word studies, seeing how what's the the root word of this of this word or the compound things, and we put it all together. Oh, so that's what it means. No, it helps us to get kind of the the broad categories of it. But how does Paul use this word? How does David use this word? I'm talking about heart, for example, heart and soul, are those different? Are the are, well, when we look at, for example, especially in the Old Testament Psalms, heart and soul, mind, strength are different different perspectives on the same internal or non-physical aspect of humanity. When we look at words in this context, um, verse 13, I intended or I desired, I don't know how your translations read, I uh, willed, even I might say, willed to keep them with me, um, but I did not, without your consent, I did not want to do. Will and want. Those two words are used, and, and some people would make a sharp distinction between them, that he was thinking about this, but then he decided this way. The point is, usage determines meaning. These two words are used often interchangeably, often in a parallel form. You know, Hebrew poetry is, it's, it's not the words that rhyme, it's the thoughts that rhyme. We see if a contrast or uh, an expansion of it or uh, this and that or, or something, we see this phrase or these words, will and desire or decide or want, it says here in verse 14, this translation, these words are used very, very, very similarly. Uh, he says, I was thinking about it, I was, I was wanting this, I was considering very deeply to keep him with me, but I decided I did not want, want to do anything without your approval or without your consent. So you see, you, you can make a sharp distinction between those two words. I'm, I'm not doing it. Uh, I think he's he's saying very similar and, and could use different words for the sake of variety and, and language or whatever. But those, um, they're very similar. If you want to make any issue with that, any distinction, you could do it in relation to the tense of the verbs. I'm getting kind of deep now. I'm sorry. Uh, imperfect. I was thinking about this, but I decided I did not want to do anything. Point in time. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to send them back. Why does he do it? So that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but voluntarily. He says, I wanted your consent. I wanted your input in this matter so that your goodness the expression of your goodness would not be something that is forced, not expected uh, from me or demanded from me or something that you feel uh, kind of manipulated into or, or forced into, something that, oh, you know, if, if I don't do this, Paul's going to get on my case, or if I don't do this, and other people are going to think badly of me. Or, it's not that. Paul says the ball is entirely in your court, Philemon. You do what you think is right before the Lord. 
and of course he does say, not to mention you owe me to your own life, but he says, it's up to you. How are you going to let the grace of God shown to you reflect itself or, or channel itself in your relationship to Onesimus? Not by compulsion, he says. I want your goodness, the expression of your goodness, which he mentioned back in uh, verse 6 again. I want the... Uh, his prayer is, verse 6 for Philemon, that the fellowship of your faith or the sharing, the proof of your faith may become effective through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. The goodness that Philemon has in his life because of Christ's deposit of righteousness, the new heart and, and so forth, I want it to be evident so that your goodness, the, the expression of your goodness, the expression of your identity in Christ would not be Ah, oh, Paul, you really forced my hand. Paul, you you painted me into a corner. Or Paul, you're just you're a master manipulator or whatever. No, he says I don't want to cause any distress for you. I don't want to make this uh, something that is a necessary expression or, or fulfillment of my expectation, my channeling of it. I don't want you to have any kind of compulsion, external pressure upon you. This is voluntarily uh, done uh, to be done by you. Uh, other ways, it's it's referred to as a spontaneous something, something that comes just because you. You want to do it because this is what Christ means to you. You you reflect this. You do this for Christ's sake. A lot of times this word, as we have it here voluntarily, is used in the Old Testament so many times to talk about a free will offering. Not one of those that's mandated, not the burnt offering, not the sin offering, not the peace offering, not the other, whatever stuff, but a free will offering. Something that is just a spontaneous, entirely voluntary, uh, no pressure, no, no legislation about it. It's just something that comes freely from the heart that is, is changed, from a heart that is thankful, a heart that is, has been shown mercy. Because I've been shown mercy, I can show mercy to other people. Because I have been forgiven, I can forgive other people. It's a spontaneous thing. It comes not from external pressures of this, but internally rising up and expressing itself in that way. There is a, another way to think of it that way uh, in terms of the willful, willingness or willfulness, and that is in a negative sense. Hebrews 10 and verse 26 says, if we go on sinning willfully, voluntarily, spontaneously from our hearts, that is wicked. If we do that willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What are you doing? You're, you're showing what is in your hearts. You're showing that you don't have a new heart. If you sin willfully, high-handedly, and you think... Oh, man, that's me. I've done I've sinned willfully. I've, I, from my own heart, you know, speaking this way or doing this whatever thing. If we sin willfully, voluntarily, spontaneously, freely, John got on our case. We just finished reading First John. He is saying, if, if you're born from above, you live differently in this world. You live spontaneously toward righteousness. Uh, Romans 6 says, Don't, no longer present your bodies as slaves to sin, what kind of foolishness is that? Present your bodies as servants or slaves unto God for righteousness. Wow. Voluntarily desiring, submitting ourselves to Christ. And Paul says, I want your relationship with Onesimus, Philemon. I want that relationship not to be something that you're forced into or manipulated into, but something that you express to him based on your new identity in Christ. Something that is entirely uh, spontaneous for him. He goes on and he says, maybe, you know, I don't know how this situation came about. I don't know why it happened, but perhaps, verse 15, perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. And he goes on no longer as a slave. But, he's, but verse 15 is 
an attempt, perhaps, and this is Paul the Apostle. I mean, if anybody has inside information, it would be Paul about God and the mind of God and the will of God and the provision of God. But Paul says, hey, maybe this happened so that this could happen. And it's almost, I, I often say this way, that uh, our perspective is, is often best retrospective looking back we can see things but in the moment and the you know, in the muddle of stuff it's hard to understand what's going on how does how is god's will being accomplished or even looking forward how is god going to bring good out of this situation it's hard in the present and in the future but if we look in the past and we can trace the hand of god think of i mean the classic example is joseph right joseph son of, of jacob genesis 15 verse 20 i know you guys you brothers of mine you meant it for evil you were getting you hated me but God meant it for good. You, sold, selling me into slavery, you have just abandoned me, telling your, my father, our father, that I was killed by an animal, or at least suggesting it. They never really said, right? You can go back to the text there and, and realize. But uh, Joseph is looking back and saying, I know God has worked, had, had did that for good, for the saving of many people alive. Paul says a very similar thing in Romans 8 and verse 28, of course, very popular, very... Uh, famous verse, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He works all together, all things together for good. So we can trust that. But again, in that present and in the future sense, it's hard to know. And Paul says, maybe this is God's providence. Maybe this is God working this way for the salvation of Onesimus. And not just that, but for you, Philemon, so that he was separated from you for a while, but now he, you'd have him back forever the contrast that he, that he puts forward there. But it, attempting to understand providence is difficult in the moment. What we have to remember is God is good. He is sovereign. He is kind. He is powerful. He is trustworthy. He is eternal. Hebrews 13 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's, there's, there's nothing outside of his purview, nothing outside of his perspective, nothing outside of his control, ultimately. And so when we don't understand what's going on, how is, how is God going to do this again? We trust him. We do what we are called to do. We are faithful. We are, should be faithful in the moment, doing what is right and leaving the results to God. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I'm going to do the next thing that I know I ought to do to please God, to honor him and to grow in him. Philemon 15, for perhaps, perhaps, I don't know how this is all going to work, but perhaps he was for this reason because of, of this separation, because of this issue, his running away, a wickedness. I mean, it was wrong for Onesimus to run away and steal from his master. But he says, maybe God is using this to uh, do something much bigger, much more wonderful. And he says, for this reason, separated from you. He kind of speaks about it a little bit euphemistically, right? Maybe for this reason, he ran away from you. Well, he doesn't say it that way. He was separated from you. And it's even in a passive voice. So it's, it's something that happened. Kind of like when our politicians apologize, well, not apologize. They would say, mistakes were made. What mistakes? By whom? When? Who knew it? No, no, mistakes were made. No, Paul says, maybe he was separated from you for this reason, even just for a little while. The contrast is here, just a, a brief hour, just a moment in time, in contrast to forever, eternity. Not just the rest of his life, you know, now, okay, Philemon is going to have Onesimus back for the, for the rest of his life as a slave. No, forever, there's restoration. It's a whole different ballgame. In eternity, there's no master, no slave, no Greek or Jew or anything. We're all together 
before God. And he says, he was separated as a slave for a little while, maybe so that you would receive him back forever. You would have him back. You would have him back in your life, not just as a master slave, but as a brother in Christ. In fact, that's what he says. Last thing we'll look at here, verse 16. He's no longer a slave. You don't regard him as a slave. You regard him as a beloved brother. Is Paul thereby saying, you, you can't have him as a slave anymore. You need to free him. I don't think he's going that far. He's saying, no longer in the, in the mode of a slave, no longer in the, the, um, the expression or the, the, the gross, uh, not gross like ugly, but the gross like uh, the big picture issue, you're my slave and so you do what I want. No, there is this brotherly kindness, brother, brotherhood that is now intact. And that, going back to Colossians 3, rather, slaves obey your masters, you do what they want, you do it, you serve unto Christ and all this kind of thing, and masters do the same thing to your slaves and so forth, you can read. But there's a new basis for the relationship. It's not a legal, Roman legal law, you know, situation, master-slave. It's now in Christ. I am a Christian master, Philemon. I am now a Christian slave, Onesimus. And how ought we to relate one to another? No longer as a slave, not in just that, that um, gross or, or crass way of, of master-slave, but much more than that, much more. A beloved brother, one who is in Christ, one who you can speak with, one that you can fellowship with, one you can pray with, one you can sing with, one who can you can invite into the church, not as one to clean up the floor after everybody's in there, but to sit down and enjoy the fellowship and to participate and to sing and pray and maybe even uh, become a leader. There's You can read some of the other uh, church um, historians of the first and second centuries and, and this there was a, a man named Onesimus who was a bishop of the church in Laodicea, I think, or Colossae, I forget where he was. A man named Onesimus. The name Onesimus was very popular, very widely used. So was it the same guy? I don't know. Maybe. We'll find out maybe in eternity. And yet we see that this man is regarded as a beloved brother, especially to me. Paul, again, referring back to Paul, I love this guy. He is so useful. He's been so good. It's such a refreshing element in my life and my imprisonment now. For five years, he's been a, a, a prisoner. And now he says, he is especially a beloved brother, beloved brother, very highly regarded, but how much more, as much as Paul loves and appreciates Onesimus, how much more to you, Philemon, both in the flesh, you know, master-slave uh, societal relationships, but in the Lord even more so. That God is returning this, this man, a beloved brother to you, to serve in your house, but also to be a, a brother in Christ, a refreshing time. Again, we see how God is working in the affairs of this world, working in the affairs of men. He is accomplishing the fruit, fulfilling the fruit of the gospel. Yes, we look forward to that future day when we will be saved from our sins, saved from the presence of sin, saved from the, just the world system and all the issues part of that in Christ, before Christ. Yes, we look forward to that. But what does the gospel mean right now? How do we live? How do we conduct our life? How do we deal with upsets? How do we deal with disappointment? How do we deal when people sin? I mean, high-handed sin against me. How do I relate to that in Christ, graciously, knowing that I have been forgiven so much, that I have been shown grace, I have been shown, shown mercy. I was God's enemy. And yet while I was the enemy of God, he loved me and gave himself for me. Christ laid down his life for those who were mocking him, scourging him, spitting on him, saying all blasphemy against Christ, and there he is enduring it for the sake of those sinners. Me, crucifying Christ. 
Can we show the same kindness to other people, the same grace? Not because we're so wonderful people, not because we have that strength in ourselves, but because of what Christ has done, the change, the, the, the transformation that he has made, he is making, and he will make in our lives. Philemon, the ball is in your court, Paul says. I want to do nothing without your consent. Philemon, what are you going to do about it? Christian person here. What are you going to do about this? You have issues in your life. You have situations, difficulties, disappointments, disappointing people. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to show Christ in this situation? How are you going to reflect the eternal change that God is making in people's lives for his sake? Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you are active in our lives. We're grateful that you are patient when when um, we're just in the wrong, and yet you leave room for repentance. You are so um, magnanimous. You are so uh, peace-loving. You are so quick and, and ready to forgive. Please help us to reflect that as well. Please help us to show that same kindness to other people that you've shown to us. We are grateful for this example that we have from Paul and Philemon and Nesmus and all the household and the church there in Colossae. We're thankful that, that we can have these these uh, dear and intimate relationships even in Christ that formerly we would never have had. Masters and slaves associating in the same congregation, unthinkable. And yet in Christ, this is possible. And we have great expectation from you that you would work in our lives, that you would sanctify us, that you'd make us more like Christ. We want to. We desire it. We want to not reflect the things of the world. We want to grow, and yet it's so difficult, so attractive for some unexplained, well, not unexplained, but some wicked reason that we long for the things the world offers and not what you offer so freely, so deliciously, so delightfully. Please help us to be intensely yearning for your righteousness, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and we'll be filled. Please help us to express that or to demonstrate that righteousness in the course of our daily lives with one another. Those we get along with very well, those that we don't get along with at all, please help us to reflect Christ always and our words, our attitudes, the countenance on our faces, the, the agenda that we have, the affections that we have, and so forth. We thank you again for Christ, the death that he died for us, the life that he lived for us, the new life he has been raised to new life, and we can have that promise too. Please save and sanctify. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.